Binge the full week of The Ray Taylor Show ad-free over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. This is The Ray Taylor Show. The Midnight Club, The Wicked Heart, is the third episode in the Midnight Club series, a Netflix original series that is created by Mike Flanagan. Uh, this episode directed by Mike Flanagan, also co-created by Leah Fong. Uh, so this is the third episode. I will be spoiling this episode. So if you don't want to be spoiled, I highly recommend checking out the show. It's a great show. And I will be talking about in detail this episode, talking about what happens with the different characters, talking about the story they tell, the ghost that they create, as they would refer to it. So if you don't want to be spoiled, I would highly recommend skipping the episode, watching the show on Netflix, and then coming back. If you want to hear my thoughts on it. Uh, but you have been warned. This is your warning. And that is all. So let's get into this episode. As we left off in the previous episode. Alonka had a vision of the Brightcliff Manor. As it was many, many years ago. It was She was in the old timey version of Brightcliff Manor. Uh, and she was kind of startled awake by an old woman. That she's been having visions of. She's been having dreams. She's been having visions uh, throughout these episodes. And this is one of the occasions. And she's frightened awake by Kevin, basically. Who, in her vision, was an old woman. So I don't know if there's a connection there, necessarily. That Kevin and this old woman. That, like, she's seeing something, maybe. But she had just stolen the files for Julia Jane out of uh, Dr. I forget her name. Dr. something. Uh, what's her name? Dr. something. Come on, Dr. something. What's your name? Dr. Stanton. Uh, she tried to break into the office, but the office door was open. Kevin helped her out with that because uh, she wants to know. She's throughout this series, she's trying to investigate this person that suffered from the same type of cancer that Alonka suffers from thyroid cancer she was miraculous she went she disappeared for a week and when she came back she was miraculously cured uh, so in an effort to try and find a cure for herself as many of the residents at Brycliff Manor do trying new remedies trying teas and such uh, she's trying to investigate and find out more about and we, we also know how brilliant Ilanka is and how driven she is in general. Her vast knowledge of not only the building that they are in, uh, but also just her ability to kind of investigate things. So that's how this episode starts, with her kind of being startled awake. She kind of explains to Kevin uh, what the dream looked like he kind of offhandedly says oh that's crazy and very defensive she seems very like in the previous episode she wanted to clarify uh about her story that she told about julia jane that she's not you know tr that she's a smart person she's not like believes in like hocus pocus mumbo jumbo type of stuff uh, so she's very defensive and very on guard about people perceiving her as anything other than the brilliant person she is. 
Uh, so when he kind of uses the term crazy, she kind of takes a little bit of offense to that. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's just crazy that, you know, these drugs, which is a common thing Kevin said to explain away some of the weird things when people uh, just experience weird phenomenon around Brightcliff. That it's, you know, it's all this medication we're on. It's a weird building. You know, you, your brain comes up with these things. Uh, but, of course, Alonka thinks it's it's something more uh, and, you know, kind of just shows her characters being a little defensive. Um, but she gets the file. She goes back to her room. She's looking through the file. Uh, she sees drawings that are in her file uh, of she sees the hourglass that I forgot to mention in the previous episode. But that hourglass was actually carved into one of the trees. Uh, when she was out roaming around, when she met Shasta, when she was looking at the grounds, collecting water, collecting herbs and things like that. Uh, so again, this hourglass thing that looks like an X and then the top half of and then the, they're closed off and then the top half is filled up uh, is that symbol is in the drawing along with the number 292.13. And then cut to she has like a dream of these people in cloaks. It's in Brightcliff Manor. Or Bright Yeah, Bright is it Brightcliff Manor? Um whatever. Hosp hospice. These people in cloaks holding candles. One of the people you see on their wrist, the inside of the wrist has a tattoo of that same symbol. Uh and then as she turns around, there's one standing behind her, which is something that, like a subtlety that Mike Flanagan does in a lot of his movies, right? He's not a guy who ever, he doesn't like jump scares. He doesn't put jump scares in any of his movies, aside from the record-breaking amount of jump scares that were in the first episode. Uh, but in all of his movies and TV shows, he uses subtlety, uh, to build tension like he will decorate the backgrounds of scenes with scary things with the creatures instead of like using music and sound effects and quick cuts in order to manipulate the audience and in her dream there's somebody standing behind her in one of these cloaks and as she slowly turns uh, she sees this ghost this like black smoke kind of thing the shadow kind of pour out uh, from under the hood and attack her she, she gets startled awake and of course Anya is already awake her roommate and she kind of gives her some shit about making so much noise like is that how you wake up every morning uh, which of course Anya always quick with the comebacks and we find out that it's family day of course Anya a little bit depressed about that because it's the same as every day for her where she is not going to be greeted by any family. Uh, but, you know, Alonka invites her to meet her, her foster father. That He's a nice guy and she'd probably like him. She's told, told him all about her. And uh, for the second time, Anya is told that she is tough. Obviously, Dr. Uh, Dr. Stanton in the previous episode compared... Anya to her son, who's a very tough kid, very, you know, except for she's even tougher. And this is the second time now that Anya has been referred to as tough, uh, this time by Alonka. 
so it's you know we get to see all of the different characters in this episode we get to find out a little bit more of them we get to visit their with their families we get to see what their you know their life is like outside or was like the people that know them uh and a lot of this episode in addition to elanka's continued search and investigation into jessica jane and now what this symbol means and now what this number means uh this is also an episode where we get to find out a lot more about kevin which is good because he's a very interesting character he's a character that has helped elanka out in certain things he was a person that elanka had a vision of sitting on that bench before she even showed up to Brightcliff and saw him on that same bench. So we get to find out more about Kevin in this in this episode. Uh but she before before they go to the family day, uh Ilanka asks Anya if she knows what the number means, if she knows what the symbol means, and of course Anya is no help with that. And then we go to family day we we actually see Anya kind of warm up to Ilanka's dad. Uh, he meets her without while Ilanka's in family day, kind of meeting with all the other uh, families that are there. Uh, and she runs into her dad and Anya in the lobby or whatever, the foyer of the man the manor. And uh, he says how he met Anya already. She's hilarious. I love her. And uh, Alanka wants to talk to her dad about these things that she's kind of uncovered. And, uh, you know, Anya starts to kind of roll away, kind of sad. And she's like, no, you're invited to. So they all, Anya, Alanka, and her dad all go to the library where they hold the, the club. And they're sitting around the table. It's her favorite place for a lot of reasons. Obviously, the library is a very coveted place for somebody like Alanka. But it's also the place that they all commune and share their stories. They, quote, unquote, create ghosts. And she's asking her dad if he knows what this number means. And her dad, or foster father, uh, he's a little bit concerned that she's kind of obsessed with this thing. And Anya is quick to kind of comfort him, talking about this other person that lived there and how they thought time moved slower inside than outside. And there was a day where they were literally running in and out of the building to see if the clocks were actually moving. Uh, but ultimately that he should have nothing to worry about because they are a family there. So we're, we're finally seeing that, that those walls and that tough exterior of Anya kind of breaking down and showing again how much she does care and how when you do get past those barriers that she has that she is a great person she has a lot of love and she will fiercely defend anybody that is part of her family and Alanka is I would say kind of christened as part has been invited now she's clearly Anya has welcomed her into the family it's a touching kind of a scene you know where you know she tells her dad that you know don't worry we're, we're gonna be fine but he doesn't have any ideas about what the number is either 
Uh, c- cut to when they are. This is like a little, it's already happened, but in the family where everybody's meeting, they're all in kind of that dining area. Uh, each table is like a different family. We see Kevin with his family. He's got a little brother who is getting into track following the footsteps of Kevin. And Kevin's like, is that what you want to do? Like, I thought you wanted to be in acting, and the mom's like, oh, he can do both. But it's your legacy. He's got to follow in your footsteps. It's like, clearly, Kevin is on this, like, pedestal for his family. And his brother is being forced to, t- to live up to this, pedest- this, this vision, this kind of archetype of his brother, which you find out that Kevin doesn't necessarily agree with that, that it's actually a lot of pressure and that he's not actually as good of a kid as they make him out to be. And that, you know, we also find out his mom is a bit of an alcoholic. We find out within this meeting that she's kind of like, she's like angry at Kevin for him not going along with the pressure that she's putting on his little brother. And then we also see his girlfriend She's kind of just acting like everything's fine. Like she's talking about how the theme of prom is going to be Parisian themed. And Kevin's like trying to act excited about something that really is kind of meaningless to him. Uh, But still you're seeing that, you know, he's he's putting on he's acting the way they want him to act. He is putting on a face. He is he is he is being the person that they expect him to be, to be the, 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 the person on the pedestal of the family, the one who, who corrected the family name that was tarnished by his dad, right? He's so much pressure on the shoulder of this kid who is dying, right? But you get to see that dy- dynamic. You get to see the people that are in his life. Uh, you know, last episode we heard him on the phone, how he's, like, telling him, basically that everything's okay that like he's running every day and all this kind of stuff really making it seem like everything is fine which is something they they all kind of want they all kind of want to exist in this fairy tale world where kevin's not sick he's this perfect kid that he's had to live up to this ideal of him that they kind of uh that his mom at least kind of puts that pressure on him fulfilling the family legacy kind of a thing uh alaka comes up and you know he he as they're doing it to kind of change the subject he invites alaka over and she says hello and it's like oh your brother looks so much like him and then he's like oh your sister i could see la 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 and then he, she sees that they're holding hands and embarrassed embarrassed to have misidentified his girlfriend as his sister and she quickly kind of gives an excuse to uh, excuse herself and you know it's a sweet thing where he's trying to change the subject get the pressure off of him it's like hey check out my friend that i know and then she comes over has a little mistake and then is embarrassed and and exits herself we also get to see uh where are we at here so you get to see his family, invites Alonk over. Uh, later, they apologize 
to each other. He apologizes for saying the crazy thing. She apologizes for mistaken uh, identity with his girlfriend. Uh, this is like later. She's in a room. She shows him the drawings. He sees Alonka's drawings. Dr obviously, Alonka, is, in addition to being very smart, very driven, also a good artist. She's drawn a bunch of portraits of all the other people that are there, and he is kind of looking at them while she's talking, and she's talking about the file uh, that, that he helped her get out of Dr. Stanton's office, talking about these drawings, asking him if he knows uh, what the symbol means or what the number means. But, of course, he doesn't, and she says, I always had this, like, inner voice. I always had this, like... This drive, these these voices, that, which is kind of like intuition. She always had intuition or she had always had a gut feeling that helped her out in the past, helped her be successful, helped her make good decisions. And she tells Kevin that ever since she's been at Brightcliff, that these voices have been on like overdrive, that they're like basically screaming at her to kind of find out what this thing is. And to, you know, just to, to dig into, like, she, she, it's like given her far more fuel and motivation to uncover. Like, it's just the more she gets into it, the more, more that happens. So we get to see that kind of, see her drive when it comes to this. And then also you get to see them uh, apologize and kind of get back on the same page. Let's take a little break from the show to promote. If you sign up for Inspired Disorder Plus for one year specifically, you get a free painting. So a year subscription of Inspired Disorder Plus is $50. The painting, the majority of them are $100. So it's $150 value signing up for one year of Inspired Disorder Plus. So not only do you get a free painting, but you also are subscribed to Plus for a year, which means that you can binge this show, the Ray Taylor show ad free the full week ad free available on monday you also get discounts that are members only pricing type of deals all of the podcasts that i've produced in the past close to 20 different podcasts i've produced hundreds of episodes there's also my personal blog you can ask me anything if you want to start podcasting or get into art all of that stuff available in addition to a free painting when you sign up to one year subscription of inspired disorder plus Head on over to InspiredDisorder.com slash plus and become an Inspired Disorder Plus member today. And now let's get back to the show. Uh, cut back to the other characters in this movie, which we don't get. We just get to see a little bit. So Amish in this, in this episode, uh, we find out that his parents are in India. There's, they were deported. They're having immigration issues uh, and trying to get them back because he's obviously dying. I think the people that are there, like his aunt and uncle. So there's, you know, he's concerned that there is kind of a, you know, it's, it has to be done in a timely manner because obviously they're all dying there and he would like to see his parents again. Uh, but they, have to take a picture the parents want a picture obviously and mark comes over the nurse comes over to take a picture of them for his uh for his parents we also see spence uh his he's signing a birthday card his dad is telling him that his mom has got the sniffles it's her 40th birthday and spence is like she always seems to 
have a cold right when it's family day. So this is clearly an ongoing thing where she never shows up to family day, just her father, just his father. Uh, so you see there's you see that dynamic with Spence and his family. You're seeing the dynamic with Amish and him, them trying to get his parents to the States so that he can see them at least once before he's gone. We also see Sherry up in her room. Cherie? Is it Sherry or Cherie? She's up in her room reading a book. Mark comes in. He's got gifts for her. And again, which is, I guess, a common occurrence with her as well, that her parents never show up. Uh, they're old. Well, according to her, which is pathological liar, so we don't know. Uh, she's saying that, oh, these soaps looks like she's in Italy. Maybe she's working on a movie in Italy. Apparently her parents work in the entertainment industry, at least as far as we know, as far as she said. Uh, Mark kind of enjoys the smell of some of the, the soaps, and uh, she obviously offers for him to take. She, you know, is willing to let him take whatever soaps he wants because she's clearly she's hurt, right? She's not only is she in a lot of ways not participating with the group she participates in group therapy which who knows how truthful what she's sharing is in group therapy but like during the making the crane she doesn't participate she has yet to quote unquote make a ghost during midnight club she has yet to tell a story during midnight club so she is in a lot of ways withdrawn she takes herself out she singles herself out uh, from the group, and I think probably part of that is a fear of rejection for her because I'm sure on a lot of levels she feels rejected by her parents. Obviously, they don't seem to care enough to show up, uh, but we also don't know what the truth is, and again, we get another lie from her. Uh, this time, she tells Mark that her great-grandpa was an inventor of liquid soap, and he actually coined the term palm olive that somebody later stole uh, which mark doesn't believe for a second but you never know i mean she's definitely somebody that has uh, no problem coming up with these things to kind of and all of these stories are stories that make her family seem important right so maybe because of that, maybe her family isn't very important. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're a trashy family. Although, they have money. They're definitely sending her money. It seems like they're probably in the entertainment industry, but just don't care, right? They're too busy with their lives to be bothered to spend any time with their dying daughter. Um, but you never know. But Mark doesn't believe the whole Paul Malov story. Uh, Nasuki, during the family time, her mother brings some pictures of her father who seems that he has passed away, uh, including one of the last pictures of him. He was in the military, but there's uh, something that she requested from her mom. And she's like, well, there's a lot better pictures of him, you know, but she's like, no, I need these pictures. So there's something there. We get to see Nasuki's family issues. Her dad passed away who knows how long ago. Uh, we also get to see there's a moment in this episode where Natsuki is uh, at the speaker box by Tristan's uh, recovery room that she is in. 
uh, this character that we've never met, but in the previous episode, she was uh, telling her a story about uh, these hitchhikers. This is a story she's working on, and apparently she had a breakthrough on two of the characters in her story, and she's excited to tell Tristan about it, but there's no reply in the speaker box. She goes inside, and we have our first death in the episode, in the series. Uh, of course, it's a character we've never really met, Tristan. Don't know anything about Tristan other than kind of seeing her for a moment. We, we saw, we've heard her through the speaker boxes. Natsuki was telling her what she has in this story about these hitchhikers. She goes in. She feels her hand. She notices she's dead. Uh, later, we get to meet another character in this movie, the janitor who is changing the seats. He's a very, he's a guy full of wisdom. He's also the guy that played Joe in Midnight Mass, which is a character I loved in that show and was kind of sad when he was unalived in that show. Uh, also in a lot of Mike Flanagan stuff, I, I really enjoy this actor, uh, but he plays the janitor. What's his name? Let's see if that's probably uh, Robert Longstreet. And he's a guy that's like, you know, he... He's, like, taking great care while putting these new sheets on the recovery bed, fluffing the pillow. Natsuki asks, like, do you guys clean the sheets or do you just replace the sheets altogether? And instead of answering her question, he talks about how people are so afraid, so much more afraid of death than they are of pain. But what they don't know or don't think about is how death is a gift because it it is the moment at which you no longer have to experience pain right he he has a view of death as a, a relief rather than a fear and how so many people don't have like it's a very it's a contradictory fear people have uh where pain but everybody's felt pain you know the thing people fear is the unknown right death is the unknown pain we know pain we have an idea of pain we've all experienced many different types of pain so just on the fact that we've experienced pain it's a little bit easier to comprehend and wrap your mind around than death so i understand why people but also it's always an it's also an interesting kind of viewpoint and he's just like you know he's that character as janitors are in movies they have like this hidden depths of knowledge and this guy has has that kind of poetic ideal of death and they bond over the doors the doors it's a line from the doors and natsuki's dad was a huge doors fan so she's kind of comforted on connecting over that reference to a, a lyric from the doors song and then later we see natsuki walking by the recovery room on her way to the midnight club and as she walks by again decorated in the dark background within the recovery room we see an image of a girl sitting up either in bed or right next to the bed and natsuki pauses goes back to look inside but doesn't see it she brings us up at midnight club right they one of their packs in addition to quote-unquote creating ghosts telling stories uh is to 
when a member of the club dies is that they will come back and give them a sign. And Natsuki brings it up to the group. It's like, is I, this is what I saw. It's very vague. Is this a sign? And Anya is quick to say, no. If that was me, I'm not doing some little boo type of vague ghost shit that could be easily explained by, as Kevin would probably explain it, oh, it was the meds, right? I'm going to do something tangible. I'm going to do something that is obvious, right? You're going to know I did something, which is, you know, interesting. Are we going to see that happen? Obviously, because Tristan, we didn't get to know her at all, you know, it is the first death, but it's not impactful in any way because we never really got to know her. So I wouldn't expect that. But as, you know, this show goes on, assumably there's going to be them all dying at some point, right? Unless there's a, a magical cure or whatever. But the way this show is set up as a series... If this goes for multiple seasons, the entire cast could potentially be complete. We could go through many casts as this thing goes through. Maybe unless like some of them come back as ghosts. Maybe they're, at some point they, they're able to do what they want to do. There's a lot of things. Who knows what, what will happen. But there's a lot of possibilities with the way the show is structured and the way it's set up. So Natsuki, they're not buying it as a... Uh, a sign from beyond now I'm going to talk about the story at the end of this episode so before we get to that story after they after the club meeting later on Alonka uh, Alonka mentions to Kevin obviously that he took her symbol in the story that he tells uh, and also uh, that he figured he's like well that's not your symbol it's Julia Jane's symbol so kind of which he tries while he's telling his story she almost interrupts to call him out on it but doesn't which is good because it's not her symbol it is Julia Jane's symbol and you know who you just draw from they're not publishing stuff. There's no copyright. What are we doing? Let's take a little break from the show to promote gift certificates. If you want to purchase artwork for somebody, you have an art lover in your life, and you think they would like my art, but you don't know what painting to get them. I have over 2,000 original pieces of art for sale in my store, along with shirts and prints and other things. So I can understand that being a bit daunting if you're trying to buy something for somebody else. Give them the gift certificate, and then they can go to my website, inspiredisorder.com, and they can buy whatever paintings they want. They can buy whatever prints they want. They can buy T-shirts. They can buy hats. They can buy all the different merch. Gift certificates, which are available currently at inspiredisorder.com. And now let's get back to the show. But she remembers where this symbol came from. She remembers where she saw it. It was in the elevator. And it's even a button. She pushes it. Nothing happens, but she pushes it. And he's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But why? It's a button. It doesn't work. 
it's like right at a place they're con people are constantly going in and out of here there'd be gurneys people would accidentally bump it why would it just be a button and then eventually she figures out that if you hold the button with the at the same time as the basement button then it works she pushes it they start going down kevin's freaking out it's like they already went down to the basement which he's not happy with and as they're at the base, she figures out, oh, if you press them both together as like a fail safe, this is because she's smart. She figured it out. The thing's going down. Kevin's like, what are we doing? There's nothing down here. Which who knows? Well, how does he know that? It's going down. If there was no more down, then why would the elevator be going down? But they go down. It's a dark room. She lights some matches. And she finds at the bottom of the floor of this second basement is that symbol the hourglass symbol that is the button that is carved in the tree that's in julia jane's artwork that kevin took for his story and as she's looking at it the elevator goes up with kevin still in it and alanka's like where are you going don't leave me down here and she lights another match and turns around and you see like there's a statue down there, stuff down there. And as she turns completely around, she sees that old lady again. Same one from her vision that turned into Kevin when she woke up. Same one she's seen in her dreams before. And that's how the episode ends. Now let's get to... Kevin's story of the episode. That's how I'm structuring these episodes, right? There's because this show is an anthology show where inside every episode of the Midnight Club is a story that is told by one of the kids, right? So you're getting two stories. There's the overarching story of Alonka trying to investigate this thing and of these kids seeing if somebody comes back from the dead to give them a sign but also is the self-contained story within. And I want to talk about all the stuff that happens outside the overarching story first, and then I'll talk about, at the end of the episode, I'll talk about the actual story that's shared, which in this episode is the story from Kevin. To those before, to those after, to us now, and to those beyond. To those before. To those after, to us now, and to those beyond. Seen or unseen, here but not here. Seen or unseen, here but not here. Wherever. So Kevin gets up in front of the fireplace, as everybody does when they tell their story, and he tells them all, this story is called The Wicked Heart. And the main character in The Wicked Heart is Dusty. And Dusty was perfect perfectly crazy he's a high school student average in every way a guy that kind of blends in right he's not the worst he's not the best like he's second string when he plays sports he gets decent grades he doesn't stick out right he's not somebody that's very memorable he just kind of easily forgettable easily just kind of floating through trying to not cause any waves in any way uh, and, of course, he's at high school. He's, you know, lockers, getting his stuff out of his locker, talking about last period and how it sucks that last 50 minutes is, like, com complete hell. 
uh, in high school just waiting to be freed. But he's average in any way, uh, and he's a senior. And what everybody doesn't know is that he lives alone with his mom, and his mom, for a few years now, she's kind of lost her, her mind in some way. She's kind of, she's kind of uh, she's going downhill mentally. Uh, but she still listens. She still listens. She can hear everything that's going on. Uh, but she's just kind of... She's sitting on the couch kind of just blankly staring into nothing, right? She's there but not there. So he's basically living alone. No real... Parent. He's taking care of his mom more than anything. But that also offers him the freedom to do whatever he wants. And he overheard... A couple girls in his school, a couple classmates talk about how their parents are going, her parents are going out of town, and her other friend is like, you should have a party. And she's like, no, I can't have parties when my parents aren't there, whatever, whatever. But he knows through overhearing that this girl is home alone, her parents aren't there. So this kid, because he has the freedom, Dusty, is able to just drive across town to this girl's house that he knows is alone. And you see Dusty breaking into this house very carefully, not to be leaving any trace that he had broken in, taking the screen off the window, going in. Uh, he goes into a room where she's sleeping in her bed. And you see Dusty standing over her. Of course, Dusty played by Kevin, right? the character within the character. Uh, I don't know who plays this girl. I don't know if it's one of the other actresses or whatever, but he's standing over. She like wakes up to see him. He puts a towel over her head, hammer in hand, and then hits is a brutal scene where he's like bashing her skull in with a towel over her face. So you don't see the face getting bashed in, right? The sound effects pretty, pretty on point, pretty gruesome. And then you also see the blood starting to soak up into the towel, right? Bashes her head a few times. Brutal. Duh, duh, duh. Kills her. Knows what he's doing. This isn't his first kill. Puts her in, like, these giant oversized trash bags. Tapes her up, right? No blood. It's all soaked up in the towel. Bags her up right away so nothing gets anywhere. Right, He knows what he's doing, not his first rodeo. And then he has a calling card as serial killers would. So this kid, Dusty, leaves a business card that has a smiley face on it. And this is the point at which Spence calls him out. He's like, dude, you used, you did a serial killer sh story a few weeks ago where he drew smiley faces in blood. You're, you're just doing that again. So he's like, oh, yeah, right. So I'll change it to... The way he describes it, an X, but with the top and the bottom on it, and the top's filled up like a hourglass, right? Exactly the same symbol that Alonka talked about and, and saw, he's symbol that he saw in uh, Julia Jane's drawings. Uh, and later, after the story, he will see the button in the elevator. And Alonka almost, like I said, almost goes to step in and stop him, but she's like, no, 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 go ahead. So he changes his calling card symbol to this hourglass symbol. And you find out it's not his first kill. Goes home. He's like, I hope I made you proud, Mom. Like, I had a good night tonight. I hope I made you proud. Which is similar in some ways to Kevin 
having to live up to the expectations of his mom. Now, of course, this in the story, a lot darker, where his mom, I guess on some level, he is killing these people in order to make his mom happy, right? He's a good kid in real life because he's trying to live up to the expectations that his mom puts on him, putting him up on this pedestal, which is unrealistic expectations for not only for Kevin, but also for his brother. And in this story, he's kind of translating that into a serial killer where he's happy his mom, hoping his mom is happy for him, is, is proud of him. And he asks her to stop and asks her to tell them to stop, whoever them is, to leave him alone, right? He's he doesn't want, he's like the pressure is too much, right? Similar to his own life, similar to Kevin's life. He's tired of the pressure that his, he's like, I got to get, I'm dying. I don't need this, this mythical pressure you put on me to be this perfect person that I never was. I'm a flawed person. So he wants them to leave him alone. And as he's going to bed, he says goodnight. And you see all of these girls standing in his room screaming at him. But you can't hear anything. They're all silent. You can see all the wounds in their heads, bloody from where he hit them with the hammer. Right? These are all of his victims. Tons of them. Right? Probably close to 15, 20 victims so far. Girls that he's bludgeoned in the head, buried. Right? We saw him after he killed this girl uh, turn off a road somewhere and he's got all these graves dug, mounds of dirt with like rocks stacked above their heads, his headstones. Right? So every night, and he says, Every night I see these people. He says, says goodnight to them. These silent victims screaming, bleeding from their heads every night. The new ones scream, even though he can't hear them, but they don't know that. It takes them a while to understand the rules because the old ones just silently stare at him, knowingly stare. And he says that's what hell is. That's what hell is, the knowing stare. right? The people that know the real you, right? Not the version of you that your mom fabricates, not the version of you that you portray in general society, all of your classmates who think you're just a good guy, average guy, good-looking kid, the ones that actually know the true person you are. That's what hell is, those knowing stares, and that his victims over time that's what they do. They just look and stare at him, which has got to be one like this story. Not I like the last one. Last one, Anya's story, very funny, very comedic horror type of a story. This one, dark, no comedy, you know. So the knowing stares, he sees them every night. Cut to. Next day at school, he's in science class. They're just dissecting a frog or something, and his lab partner is the friend of the girl that he just killed, the one she was talking to, who is played by Alonka in this story. 
and she's talking about how she hasn't heard from her friend. They're supposed to get together. They didn't hear from her. She's worried about him. And Kevin's like, yeah, I don't know. But she's kind of got a thing for Kevin. They, she introduces herself. They meet. They bond. They go on a date. And on their date, they're supposed to be going to get some, che- some cheeseburgers with milkshakes. He knows a great spot. But on their way, she's driving. On their way, she decides to stop off at her friend's house to see what's going on, to see if she's okay. And Dusty's like, man, I don't know if she's sick. Maybe she's okay. Maybe she's sleeping. He's trying to make excuses why they shouldn't go check it out. So they go. They check it out. Doesn't look like anybody's there. There's no mess. There's no nothing. But still, her friend is concerned. Very much has the characteristics and traits of Alonka. Smart, driven to uncover the truth. That is what this character is in Kevin's story. Clearly, not only played by Alonka, but also portraying her traits, which all these stories so well communicates a lot of what these characters are so she decides to call the cops cops show up a detective shows up asking questions right she's starting to kind of be she's kind of like tipped off that like oh this this detective is trying to match what happened here with what happened other place asking her about like some einstein chat you guys got AOL chat? You do that Einstein thing? And then Dusty makes an excuse. My mom, I live with my mom. I have to take care of her. I have to go. So he kind of excuses himself, makes an excuse, and leaves. Right? Obviously not wanting to say the wrong thing, bring bring any undue attention towards him. It's like, I'll let her deal with this detective. So he excuses himself. And he's home. It's later. You see him on his computer on the Einstein chat setting up. He's like, this is how he sets up his victims, which is probably why the detective was asking. Because they, they have an idea that these victims, they all have the Einstein chat in common. And you kind of see the text that's on there. It's like, are you alone? Or should I come over? All this kind of stuff. And you see him at his bed well you're also hearing audio hallucinations which i sometimes get audio hallucinations i'm not a serial killer (laughs) uh but i do the way the audio hallucinations are portrayed in this show are very similar to what i hear which is kind of like an inaudible mumbling whispering kind of sound Right? Like, you can't really make out what they're saying. That's what I hear when I. So it's kind of weird. He's hearing these audio hallucinations. And he goes over to his bed where you see him have everything laid out his gloves, his hammer, backpack, his hat, all this stuff. And these, you know, audio hallucinations are getting louder. Obviously, these audio hallucinations are kind of how the screams of his victims come through to him. And he gets to a point where it's too much and he yells, you know, stop. And that is the point where this girl shows up at his house. 
So he goes out front of the house, and she's like, I think there's something more to what's going on. I think this detective, there's a bigger case. This is connected to that case. She thinks it's a homicide, and she's determined to figure it out. Right? That's what she showed up at Dusty's house. And she wants to prove that her theories are right. Very much like Alonka clearly has theories about what happened to Julia Jane, that there's something happened to her that helped her get cured from her cancer. And she's determined to prove her theories right. Right? Maybe not the best best way to go about prove that's kind of where a lot of people get in in situation that cognitive bias that trying to prove your theories right like <laughs> like uh these flat earthers who try try actual experiments but then when they prove that the earth isn't flat they kind of like oh we did the experiment wrong right there's it's kind of a never-ending thing when you're trying to come at a problem hoping for the outcome to be correct when you're trying to prove your your theory and you're unable to find the connective tissue that makes that a reality. So she wants to prove it. And that's kind of that's the end of the story. And of course the story we find out it's kind of Kevin trying to live up to his mom's standards, uh kind of feeling invisible in a lot of ways, trying to be the person nobody really knows who he is really. Uh, and then, of course, with Alonka, her intuition, drivenness, research, uh, reading into things. And also, maybe Kevin is hiding something. I mean, it could just be as simple as that nobody really knows the real Kevin because they're all viewing him through these specific lenses of on this pedestal type of a thing. But if these stories are to be translated to the actual character maybe there's even more to kevin that we don't know who knows uh but it ends of course with to oh no to be don't do it kevin to be continued i'm sorry guys but that is all i have for tonight but hey if you want to hear the rest all you got to do is yep, we know. stay alive a little while Hey, it works. You're all still here. So far, at least. New episodes of The Ray Taylor Show come out every single day. Subscribe on YouTube and everywhere our podcasts are found. Binge the full week over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. Buy Ray Taylor Show merch over at InspiredDisorder.com. And follow the show on Instagram at Ray Taylor Show. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Peace. Ouch! Today is the day where you wake up and you realize that everything that you've been dreaming about, everything that you've been wanting, every goal and wish and hope that you've ever had can become real. Dreams can come true. What you manifest in your mind, you can bring to reality.